0: The Kinghorn lifeboat is one of the fast inshore craft which can operate in shallow water, such as those off Portobello and Joppa. The station was founded back in 1965, its crews drawn from members of a local sailing club. But in those early years they were called out no more than a dozen times a year. By contrast, in 2020 they've had the call so far 92 times. Neil Chalmers, crew member and spokesman for the Kinghorn station, takes up the story.
1: And at that point, identified a need for a a lifeboat in the area. They approached the local sailing club, who were very active at the time with a large membership. And obviously being familiar with the waters, it seemed like a good sort of group to get things started. I think the local sailing club set up the boat, or the lifeboat station in Kinghorn, out of the back of a small garage behind the sailing club. It is still there in Kinghorn, quite uh, basic facilities, uh, and that was with a, a D-class lifeboat, which was sort of smallest inflatable. That you get uh, they're still using today. They've obviously come on a fair amount in technology and uh, appearance since then, but uh, effectively it's the same sort of size. I can't remember off the top of my head, but Scott may know better. But I assuming or I recalling, probably the sort of five to ten outs a year at that stage, and the, the sailors uh, manned the boat. It's probably fair to say man the boat <laughs> rather than crew the boat in those days as well. They would take turns to cover weekends where the rest of the club went away. So there's a rotor system and, and that runs till this day.
0: Something does occur to me, which is that in the past decade in particular, activity on the water has become much greater with the spread of rowing clubs on both sides of the Forth. With sailing clubs increasing in number, people on paddle boards, kayaks, it is really quite active out there.
1: Yeah, it's got a lot busier over the past 10 years. So I've been on the crew, I think, 17 years now, and Scott a couple more. And I think even the, the time that we've been on the crew, thinking back, the types of call-outs have changed and the numbers as well. When I started, it was probably somewhere in the 50s, sort of 50 to 60 call-outs a year. It was a busy year there was maybe fewer leisure call-outs within that of their numbers annual numbers have increased significantly probably particularly over the past five years as well we've had a lot more call-outs to leisure um, water users taking part in swimming rowing kitesurfing stand-up paddle boarding kayaking as well as more traditional fishing boats and uh, the like
2: to be clear on that point, when Neil says Scott might know when you refer to the boat being established, I wasn't even born then, and I was <laughs> trying hint that I wasn't around at that point. I just uh, have some history with the station because of people. I know. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I think we've seen a lot more leisure call-outs uh, coming. Although that's I mean that's been going for for 20 plus years. We've been getting more and more uh, sailing diggies, yachts, um, and nowadays, like you say, paddle boards. Um, particularly this year, uh, even me with with my kids, I've bought stand-up paddleboards this year and, and got into it with my kids. Look on wood, we haven't been rescued yet ourselves, and we hopefully never will be, <laughs> but, uh, but it happens. You know, it's just it's an indicator that we nowadays spend a bit more time outdoors, and particularly on the water if we can, so lifeboats needed.
0: Although based on the north side of the Forth, these fast boats see them frequently sent across to Granton and New Haven, Portobello, Fisher and Port Seaton, as crew member Scott McAravey explains.
2: We go to Portobello actually quite a lot. We go to the south side quite a lot. The, the whole of the Edinburgh coastline can be quite busy for us. We've got New Haven as well, Granton area. Queen's Free Lifeboat goes to Crammond and the Granton area quite a lot. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's a busy area for us. It's actually easier for us to get across the Forth to a place like Portobello crewed by a small village which can get to the station quite quickly, rather than a lifeboat that's based at the Edinburgh side where the crew may be stuck in traffic trying to get to the station, things like that. But it's, it's a significant part of, of our, our patch, if you like. And in fact, we, we've been we've been even on the, the TV on Saving Lives at Sea this year, featuring a rescue that was in a similar area on the south side as well, for a person stuck or not. So it does happen. Portobello in particular this year, we've had a lot of calls there for people that are thought to be in danger but who were open water swimming or there's a question mark over was it an open water swimmer that was seen and you know managed to get ashore before the the services got there which is we'd much rather somebody calls in and says I think there's somebody in danger when there's not than them saying I think that person's okay when they aren't so we're, we're happy to go across and have a look.
0: The most recent visit to Joppa was just last Friday. Anyone on or near the prom would have been aware of the activity with a Coast Guard helicopter, searchlights ablaze scouring the waters offshore near the pumping station. He was joined by the Kinghorn crew and, on land, by a range of other emergency services. It was already dark. The call had suggested there were people hanging on to a buoy and calling for help. But how do you spot a dark head in a dark sea on a dark night? Mel McGarver and Scott McElravey were both on that call.
3: You know it's really tricky. It's about, well, firstly, using our our nav equipment, what we've got to actually get there in the first place, because you've got the journey before you even arrive on scene. And then on board, it's using our technology that we've got there. So using our searchlights, using our night sight equipment, communicating with each other, using anything, any resources we've got on the shore. Is there something that the Coast Guard teams can check out for us? Is there an area that the helicopter can check out for us if we maybe can't get in there? Just about pulling everything together to make sure that we've covered the biggest area that we can cover.
0: And one of the things that was important that particular night was just the sheer number of different organisations that were involved collaborating with you.
3: And that makes a huge difference because it really expands the area you can then cover if you've got eyes on the ground, if you've got eyes in the sky. It makes it almost certain that you'll find something if it's there to be found.
0: If it's there to be found. Scott, you were talking about the importance of people actually calling in, but how many times, in fact, Do you find that you are going to what turns out to be a false alarm?
2: Yeah, I mean, overall, and this isn't just for Portobello shouts uh, and stuff, but yeah, overall, we do get quite a high number of what we might call false alarms with good intent, which are the ones where there's a genuine concern for a boat or a person or something. Quite popular in the summer for us is people calling us out to boats that are adrift, But it turns out they're basically just fishing and the boat's drifting with the tide as they fish. And often with the nature of people fishing, where they're they're bobbing their fishing line up and down, it can look from the shore like they're waving. So people start to think, oh, there's people on this boat waving, for example. We're fine with that. We can check them out. We'll come back and say that it was okay and they were fine. But yeah, I mean, this year in particular, we have had a number of false alarms for, for, like I say, for swimmers, for stand-up paddle boarders. We, We had one recently near Aberdour, where somebody had reported uh, stand-up paddleboarder in difficulty and it just turned out they were a bit of a novice and they just kept falling in but they weren't actually in danger they were just falling in and getting back out and ended up with a lifeboat audience to watch them which I'm sure they were pleased about <laughs> um, but it happens but again we'd much prefer to get false alarms and to come home and not have anything than to be bringing a body ashore
0: Like all charities the RNLI has been quite badly hit as most fundraising activities around the country have had to be abandoned as Neil Chalmers explains, it's left a gaping hole in the organisation's finances.
1: Absolutely, yes. So i put some numbers on it. This year, it's expected to be about a £30 million drop in income for 2020. That's a lot. It is a lot, yeah. Obviously, the institution costs about £150 million a year to run. We've got about 238 stations around the UK and Ireland and several hundred lifeguarded beaches now as well. It all costs quite a lot of money to run each year. It's, it's vital that we keep bringing income in to fund that. I think it's actually not as bad as was forecast back in March-April time, when the, obviously the lockdown first happened. And that, I suppose, is a, a credit to, to all of our supporters who have continued to raise money and donate, many who have probably had some, I feel, a fairly difficult time financially this year as well. We're very grateful for that support.
0: At the moment, the organisation is running two fundraising campaigns. There's a general Christmas appeal and also a dedicated local appeal to help fund Scottish lifeboat stations' running costs. This is important since some of them have been busier than ever and the need for new items of PPE, for example, have added an additional expense. There are links to both in the written introduction to this episode. However, locally, Neil Chalmers and Mel McGarver have been delighted by the way their own community in Kinghorn has
1: responded. It's difficult. Obviously we are an independent charity and we do rely on donations and fundraising events to fund us. I think it's fair to say all charities have probably suffered similar issues this year. This was one of these things and we just need to to try and recover as best we can and come up with innovative ways of raising money with these different constraints. This year we at Kinghorn had still had some pretty good successes with fundraising events. We had a plant sale at the end of lockdown because obviously a lot of plants had been grown for our open day, which had to be cancelled in July. So it ended up having a yard sale, basically, uh, and a number of growers around Kinghorn put their plants in their driveways and uh, there was a trail around the village for uh, people to go. And that raised £5,000, which was just unbelievable and much appreciated. We've had 92 call-outs so far this year, so it's our busiest year ever. And obviously, that all costs money from fuel and consumables and repair and maintenance costs, and obviously just the, the general day to day running costs of the station, which have continued to be the same. Yeah, we are looking at alternative ways. Uh, another example Mel actually organises the Big Fish Supper in Kinghorn each year and normally sells out the the boat hall within the Lifeboat Station, uh, but obviously we weren't able to do that this year, so we just um, put something on Facebook as sort of an online thing. So can
0: I get actually Mel to talk about that, just exactly what is yeah. what is involved?
3: Normally we have a ticketed event where we clear out the boathouse with the boat and trailer, they get parked outside, The tables and chairs get borrowed from our local community centre, and we get deliveries from a local fish and chip shop, and normally there's about sort of 100 people in our boathouse sell out event every year that I've done it, Touchwood, We have a, a raffle and a fundraising events, if you like, within the event. But this year we couldn't do that, so then it was about oh, how are we going to be able to still hold something because our I fish supper campaign was still happening, and a lot of our local community were still keen to donate to support. So, what we did, we did a virtual fish supper, so it's part of the big fish supper campaign. It ran for three weeks in October. And what we were promoting was for people to have their favourite dinner, I don't even need to be fish-related, to have their favourite dinner and then donate their ticket money to the RNLI. And doing that, we raised £850, which we were just overwhelmed with, that we still received such a huge support from the community, despite everybody being in really hard times at the moment.
0: As our guests in this episode have pointed out, the amount of RNLI activity in Portobello and the surrounding area has been significant this year, so they would like to encourage the creation of a local volunteering group here, most likely focused on fundraising of some kind. They hope that those who use the waters of the Forth the most will rise to the challenge.